and welcome to another installment of Behind the Fourth Wall, a podcast where we talk about movies, TV shows, trailers, Hillary Duff's career occasionally, and anything else we deem pop culture. My name is Ivan, and I'm joined today by my co-host and seven-time contestant in the MasterChef Junior Series, Emmett. No longer in the Junior League, have moved on up. You going on to the to the to the adult series here? You ready to get screamed at by Gordon? Uh, no, I don't. I don't think I'm gonna continue that career. Oh, dude, you almost had it. Se- series two was really good. I really just want to be able to go like a high school reunion and tell people like, I was in the Junior Olympics. I was in the <laughs> Junior Master Chef program. I don't want to be like I went to the Olympics. That's true. That's true. You hit your peak at this point already. Yeah. What are we talking this week? I don't really know. <laughs> okay. Let's uh, get out of here. <laughs> We're talking Marvel's Assembled, the making of the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. This is your favorite series. You said it at the beginning of the year. This is my favorite show by far. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it kind of is actually really good. I like the insight they give. I, I, I know I went on a whole tangent last time we talked about this stuff, but like the DVD extras have always been my favorite things to look at every time I bought a new movie. So I'm they're sorely missed because I don't think anybody's really doing that stuff now. So it's great to get this kind of thing. Yeah, and it's also I I really enjoy just watching these uh, these actors chemistry off screen, and then like the thought that goes into scenes or into set design and all that. It, it is really cool to see. I do like how this behind the scenes compared to WandaVision's kind of got a little bit into more detail on the the workarounds for COVID. Uh, yeah. Only because I'm always like I'm the guy that. Like, I used to work on set, so I know how difficult it is to pull any little segment of this off. So uh, any insight that is very interesting to me, because, like, obviously nobody's been through this in the world, right? But now, especially for trying to handle, like, a international production, uh, that's some really good insight into it that we got on this episode. Yeah, it is really cool to see how they continued filming when they took pauses and I guess they were also actually impacted by the uh, the Puerto Rico earthquakes. And uh, I, I was surprised they brought that up and then they weren't part of any like sort of relief effort. <laughs> it just felt kind of weird to be like, and we were devastated by that and COVID. And it's like, oh, the rest of the world <laughs> probably had it a little bit harder than you just having to stop film, filming, but okay. Yeah, I think... I think Disney cut a check for like relief during that time, but I don't think, like you said, they didn't touch on it at all during, <laughs> during the segment. So it did, did kind of seem a little odd that they kind of referenced that, but then just like didn't pick it back up later. Yeah. Why don't we, uh, why don't we just hop into it? I feel like there wasn't that much news and uh, we're already kind of on a roll. All right. Talking about it. Uh, what if we just started with the main stars of the show? Uh it- Anthony Mackie being number one on marquee. Yeah, the only thing I'll say that I missed that I didn't quite get in this is a riff on Tom Holland, because I feel like that's kind of the main (laughs) thing for any Anthony Mackie interview. I think not mentioning Tom Holland was his riff on Tom Holland. (laughs) (laughs) If you're you're unfamiliar, Anthony Mackie and Sebastian Stan have this on-camera feud with Tom Holland where the fans are guessing if it's real or not. I don't think it's that real, but it is very funny to watch in interviews. Yeah, they're always riffing on him ever since the Civil War uh, press junket. <laughs> so it's really funny to see. Yeah. Um, it does. It, not to go on off on the tangent here, but like it, it is kind of there is this like infamous uh, interview they did with Kevin Smith. I think it was like at a Brazilian Comic Con. I could be wrong about the the setting of it, but um, I think Tom Holland had cracked a joke about how the Falcon hasn't gotten his own solo film so kind of timely now that we did get that, that announcement of a captain america 4 coming up so you know it looks like anthony mack is getting the last laugh on that yeah i'm very excited for that that's something we talked about in the last pod before we knew the announcement was made and uh that's something that we both kind of landed on being hopeful for and then to have it announced like right after we recorded was really cool and I was partial, like, part of me wanted to, hit, like, call you up right after and be like, hey, by the way, <laughs> it's official. We should probably add it to the cast before we release it. But I, I think, um, you know, 
it's it was good news overall so i was happy to see that actually come through but yeah i i think so this part of the reason why i always like this the, these kind of insight is that we actually start to get into the headspace of these actors and kind of get their perspective on like exactly what uh, goes into the making of this show. I feel like, you know, there's a lot of lip service that happens during press junkets and over here. And I think you probably mentioned this when we were talking about the WandaVision episode of the behind the scenes stuff, but it kind of gives the actors a really good outlet to kind of speak their mind a little bit, because especially this episode, it got pretty clear about, you know, the kind of messaging that they wanted to put out there. So I thought it was really nice, especially like I know this particular series was a little bit um, divisive in terms of like the way to interpret certain themes. But it it seems like through this, uh, they're kind of reiterating what they what they meant to say uh, throughout the show. So I was happy to kind of see them kind of clarify their perspectives on some things and then also uh, just to see the amount of work that really went into it. Yeah, the, the thing I think I like the most about Anthony Mackie is that he's doing these movies where you kind of feel like all you really need to do is hit the gym a bunch. But he went to Juilliard, and it's really cool to see how much thought and effort he puts into the evolution of his character because he's been doing this since um, Winter Soldier, the second Captain America movie. And for that fact, Sebastian Stan has been doing it longer too, who also talked about like his evolution as a character as well. But it's really cool to see like he can uh, Anthony can approach this in such a uh, tactical and educated point of view, where it's not just about doing the action stunts. He also talked a lot about the impact that he's had with it, and the the fact that and and this was kind of a little bit of a shock. Obviously, like it's always a shock when someone mentions this out to you about how long it actually has been. Um, because he's, he mentioned that he's been working in the MCU for over 10 years. It's one of those things, and I don't, really, I don't know, I might be kind of speaking a bit gibberish here, but, like, every, I used to think that, like, my anchor point was, like, 2010, and I'm like, so long as I'm not too far away from 2010, I know not too much time has passed. But last time I checked, we're, like, over a decade away <laughs> from 2010 at this stage. Yeah, he's definitely was in there in the early game, and he, uh, for not a lot of screen time either for 10 years, 10 plus years of being on sets. He probably has what 20 minutes total of screen time. Most of it coming in like two movies. Yeah. I think the most screen time he ever got was in winter soldier. Yeah. Right. Maybe civil war. He got a bunch. Right. Yeah. 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 But nothing to develop his character, all just to support Steve and not like give us too much Intel about where where he had been so that's why this series was so important uh not only like as a social critique but also just get him more screen time since he really deserves it also this was kind of a news flash to me but he's a dad which i completely yeah. did not know <laughs> he kept mentioning his kid i was like oh all right didn't know you had a family all right i like it it it, it is pretty cool though to think that like especially for him being in his position like he talked about how much it meant to him uh, to be given the opportunity to become like a, a black superhero like holding a mantle that is like to the degree of captain america so i i think there's something to say because he he obviously he loves what he does uh because like you said like his role has been 10 like it's been 10 years he hasn't gotten a lot of screen time it hasn't been a lot and very often you do hear of actors moving on from projects because their role is just not big enough. They either kill, get killed off on the TV show or they just drop from a franchise. So obviously he was committed to Marvel, so it was nice to see that uh, Marvel in the end was actually committed to his career and actually is giving him the opportunity to to don the shield. Uh, so that that bit was very was very cool to kind of see and also to see him kind of like acknowledge exactly what it is because he strikes me the same way that uh, elizabeth olsen struck me in the interviews for for wandavision in the sense that they both seem to be genuinely very happy with what they're doing so i'm 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 excited to kind of see where they take him next uh and because the way that he talked about getting coming into terms getting into terms i guess with the topics of the show 
and delving a bit deep into it because it sounds like he was very much involved in the creative process of it. Uh, speaking from like experience of working on set and all that, that's not that's not the norm. Like actors rarely get a say and stuff like that unless you're like a top biller. Yeah, I think there is a little difference between him and uh, Elizabeth Olsen. They do both have that same passion. Uh, Elizabeth kind of brought it to knowing the character and like pushing the agenda of a storyline that's in one of the comics. And Anthony was, it, it's funny, like he, it's kind of hard to differentiate him from his his character because he did have such a uh, impact on being able to bring outside presence into the character and not have to totally adhere to the cart uh, to the comics so it was cool to see that that interview with one of the producers and writers who basically was like yeah that whole end speech of the of the season was just like a four-hour phone call of let's make this really genuine and come from the heart so that when you're delivering it it is you're passionate about it and it's true and you're not like just reading words on a paper yeah, and like a a word on the on the showrunner for this show because I gotta give him props for it. Like Ma- Malcolm Spellman, he he really killed it <laughs> with this. And for somebody that doesn't have too many credits to his name, it's it's impressive what he was able to pull off here. And like you said, like he he got Anthony Mack involved, especially in terms of getting the the black perspective for the for this TV series, especially. Uh, I think it was very important for them to to acknowledge exactly how much effort it, they went into handling that and just how much of uh i guess like master craftsmanship i guess was involved in terms of layering out this story because it could have gone completely sideways to, to another realm you know like it's hard to talk about um you know racial inequality social injustice that kind of thing without kind of delving too much into one side of things and then completely losing part of the general audience. Uh, and I feel like I haven't seen that kind of division for the response in the show. The majority of it has been very, very positive. Yeah, he had a very cool way of explaining things that it wasn't like he was talking down to the audience. It was like he was just, I don't know, he was so casual and so uh normal about how like talking about comics that he wasn't like overly excited and he also wasn't like overcomplicating what it actually is right speaking of the comics though did you notice how many of the actors that were being interviewed referred to the comics and talked about like going and picking up a few of them themselves just to kind of take a look at what their character was like yeah there was two in here that were notable the the guy i I didn't catch his name I'd, or write it down on our notes. Uh, the guy who played, um, what was his name, Lawrence? Or Lamar? Uh, he was, like, acting as if he'd seen a lot, like, read a lot of comics. I don't know if that's totally true, because he was, like, <laughs> super into a very, like, D-list character. <laughs> Uh, so I don't know. Sometimes it feels disingenuous, but then I like guys like Daniel Brohl who are like, uh, yeah, no, I don't read the comics, but as soon as I saw my outfit, I was like, oh, maybe I'll go check it out see what it's like <laughs> and I'll get one with me on the cover because that'll be cool. Like, I find that in like that candor and that honesty to be much better than just pretending to be like, oh, I've always liked comic books. And because I don't know, coming from my perspective where I didn't grow up reading the comics, I don't want the actors to pretend like they did. Yeah, it's it's hard to to tell it tell it apart sometimes because most of the press junkets are like really small. They're like five minute interviews, so you can't really tell who's being genuine and who isn't. Although, yeah, I'll, I'll I will say that the the guy playing Lamar Hoskins when he said that he had the comic books with Battlestar in it, I'm like, which ones? Because I I can't recall. How many of them he Yeah, was he in. spoke about it like that's his like the only one he ever read and he had it up on his wall. I'm like, you don't have to be overly high. Like you can find something <laughs> else to talk about, like the importance of your character specifically. Yeah. I I was I will say on his character though, like I, I do kinda it's weird, right? Because the MCU is so vast i kind of wanted to delve into his character more in some in some future project obviously there's not enough room to cover everybody and like certain characters are going to hold more water than others so 
Uh, it was unfortunate that his character was killed off, but I do like that we at least got to see a battle start <laughs> in, in in live action. So you know, two minutes on the screen before yeah. that. Yeah, but you know, he he got more he got more um screen time than some of the other lower MCU characters that we've seen. So, well, actually, hmm, he's kind of tied for with Batroc, right? In terms of like. <laughs> amount of time that he got on screen probably about the same yeah yeah but i yeah you can only pull so many characters out from d-list territory before it's too many in a single series and i think the uh i guess he's the producer of marvel uh kind of hit that hit that on the head he's like we're always trying to look back and pick out characters that could help progress the story who we don't have to recreate, but we can just um, pull from the depths. And that's great, but you can only do that so many times. True. Although, I mean, there's so there's so many you can pull. I, no, but, I mean so many times in one series. If you're trying to pull oh, that's out true, 20 yeah. people and have them each be connected to the audience, it's too many. But then you're distracting from the storyline. Yeah. Although it, it's kind of funny... Since we're on this, we're we're talking about like characters and world building, and you know, I I do think that there was a point in my life when like I could name all like a whole bunch of Marvel characters, but the majority of them were from the X Men, and now it's kind of funny because we kind of come full circle where people have a handful of characters that are not in the X Men. Like the X Men used to be the end all be all for Marvel, uh, and it's it's funny to see now that even something like Battlestar. Like the fact that he's on this show, people will remember at least part of it. You know, they'll be like, "Oh yeah, I've heard of Battlestar before." Whereas before, if you're not an X Men character, you would not be remembered at all, uh, just because they used to be portrayed in a whole bunch of uh, cartoons and all that. But Marvel's come a long way, and I, you know, I I do like when they pull things uh, from like the deeps, the the, the very very deep <laughs> segment of of the Marvel universe, but. Um, yeah, to your point, at some point it gets overcrowded and it starts to become a little bit hard to to really give liberty to any one character um, or have them stand out as good as you want them to. Yeah, I totally am for pulling characters out from the depths. I just don't need the actors to pretend like that's their top favorite uh, comic book hero when like nobody else in the world has heard of them. <laughs> Who's like one of your favorite obscure Marvel characters? I don't know if I have like an obscure one. I like um guy from panel two from issue sixty seven of Captain America, the guy wearing a purple shirt. He's my Dang, favorite you stole mine. <laughs> <laughs> my I mean my favorite growing up was Silver Surfer. Yeah, and he's not even he's kind of like a B lister, I think, right? Cool, Maybe. then that's my that's as deep as I go. I stay in the shallow end. There you go. You're at the A B shelves. You're like, you're why, one of, why settle for less? <laughs> I, I want premiere. You're one of those kids that will only buy the main characters when you when you go out with your with your monthly allowance back in the '90s. You're like, I right, which which main character action figure am I gonna get this week? Yeah, Silver Server was so cool. <laughs> he was, he, he was. I wish we would have gotten more of him in those movies back then, but who knows? We have a second shot of him now in the MCU. I think uh, they already nailed it. Yeah. <laughs> On the tangent, though, like Daniel Brühl, when he talked about, uh, and you talked about this already, but like when he talked about his uh, his his turn as uh, as as Zemo and finding the comic where he just wanted to wear that mask, I do like that they reference the fact that they just put that in there just to satisfy certain fans for fan service. Because uh, it, like you you mentioned this when we when we covered, um, I think the the second to last episode of the show, but they didn't really have any use for that mask. It was literally just put on for one action sequence and that's it. Well, I thought they said that they had drawings of attempts to use that, that look in yeah, for civil war in civil war, but they never got around to it. Um, so they, they thought, Oh, it's about time that we give it to him. And yeah, it's definitely for a fan service as well. And he only used it in one scene, but um, I don't know if it gave him powers because he was so much better at fighting in that one scene than we saw him otherwise. But I didn't really care too much about his costume just because I, I wasn't 
fascinated by it. But I do love what he brings to the set there and how off like off camera he's such a like jokester and clown. But then he turns it on for those scenes that he delivered all those monologues. He's such a charismatic guy, too. And I think anybody I want to say it was the show, there's a show called The Mentalist where I mm-hmm. think it's The Mentalist where he's the, the main character on it. He's so good in that. But he's so good in so many roles, man, that I, he's he's very versatile in, in the, the range that he has. Um, but yeah, I, I I do think that I'm kind of glad that they didn't go with the mask for too long because I feel like, especially his performance during Civil War, he was compelling enough as it was, and his face is very dynamic in terms of like expressions and and all that. So the mask would have kind of hindered it a bit. Yeah, he mastered the head tilt as they <laughs> as they commented on. <laughs> but he but he was great. And then when they touched on Emily Van Camp's character for Sharon Carter, yeah, uh, it kind of was what you and I were saying. We're like, uh, it's this like battle of symbols where you go from this one character that's very much um, good and wholesome and you know like very much uh, true to her to her surname, I guess to to the Carter name. Uh, and then you do a complete 180 on her, but the way that they kind of explained it, it makes sense, right? Like it was this whole thing of like you're kind of stripped to the edge of what you have. You don't really have much much else to go. You're on the run. Like what do you do? Um, and so it, I would have liked to spend a little bit more time with Sharon, and I hope we kind of get more with her in the future somewhere uh, because I do like the actress too. I think she's been great in a lot of the stuff that she's been outside of the MCU. So I always thought she, that she was underutilized. Yeah, I had no problem with her development as a character in this series. I know that we can't see five years worth of scenes like in, an, in a quick enough time to keep the series moving and also give us background. So I was willing to buy into the storyline of I was on the run for five years and like the U.S. government was hunting me down, or actually probably more than five years, but uh, I think it was the two years and then the five years happened. So I was totally willing to buy into her character development. I just thought it was funny in a confusing way to see how proud the writers and directors were of this character arc. And that uh, of I'm talking about the power broker reveal, how they thought they were being sneaky with that. And one of like one of the directors actually said that uh, this is going to be a great like twist you didn't see it coming. And it's like, no, fans <laughs> kind of talked about this by like episode three. <laughs> I, I, I did laugh at that part. Cause I think, I think it was Malcolm Spellman too. who was saying like, Oh, well we wanted to lay the groundwork where it seemed like she was going this way, but it really wasn't. It was this other thing. And I'm like, no, it was pretty evident from the beginning. Uh, yeah, the only doubt we held out for was like, maybe they're just actually going to introduce a new character that they want to bring in at the very end. Who was like the big shadowy figure. Because we didn't think it would be that obvious that it would be Sharon. Yeah, yeah, no, and I, like I said, I, 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 it's a character that never has turned villainous in the comics. So that part of me was like, all right, maybe they're not gonna go the power broker route, but they did. Um, and frankly, yeah, it, it was pretty predictable. But it was kind of funny to kind of see themselves basically pat themselves on the back and be like, yeah, we did good with that one. But I do agree with you that she is a great actress, and I am happy that they were able to sever ties with her character being closely related to Steve Rogers, Captain America, and having to just be like the pretty face in that movie who lost all of her fights to what we see her fighting in Madripoor. I mean, she kicks butt now, so it's really cool to see that evolution. Yeah, I think I hope they give her more time to shine and just kind of delve into her more of her like villainous side and kind of see what happens i feel like a lot of actors especially you know kind of timely on this because we're in just post oscar season but you ever get the feeling that a lot of the awards and attention to different big time movies come from characters that are villains you know like there's a lot of focus always on like best supporting actor best supporting actress when it comes to the antagonist because i feel like it's almost like actors kind of feel a little bit more freedom when they're playing a villain. Yeah. This they all the directors in this one in this uh episode also had a really good line about being like 
and while they probably were, t- I think they were talking about Aaron Kellyman's character, the like the honest conversation that Air- Carly and Falcon had was only going to work because it was earned earlier in the in the in the series. But same goes for Sharon's character or A- Emily Van Camp's character um, earning this this role. Yeah, and I think speaking of Erin Kellyman, she's everywhere now. Like, I feel like I've seen her in multiple projects over the last couple of years. Um, and she's great. She's great in a lot of things. I, I wanted to go back to playing Empress Nas. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Solo needs a sequel. It really does. A duo. <laughs> it does. Like, give us a Disney Plus show at least. Like, come on. Yeah, after duo, then it'll be trio, and then quads. Yeah. <laughs> But she, but she was great. I, I think part of my part of my issue with her character has oh, been issue. Yeah, I, I feel like I feel like we didn't. It was kind of a disservice to kill her off at the end of this series. I didn't want them to kill her off because I feel like they started building something in her that kind of you know maybe and and maybe the reason why they killed her off is because we've had enough of redemption stories in the MCU, but. I feel like she would have been a great villain for that kind of thing. I don't mind her being killed off. I think Sharon had to do it. Otherwise, she would get outed as the power broker. And I think it also had to teach Falcon a lesson of, like, you can't save everybody with just, like, healing positivity. Like, he tried that route with Carly once, and it only worked for so long, and then she escalated again. So... Uh, I didn't mind that character evolution and that ending result for her. Uh, but I totally agree that I I love that she's getting more roles. And uh, they talked about why she got the role for this, because she has that like innocent-looking face, but then she can quickly turn on the dark side that uh, that was needed for this. And I thought she nailed it all series. Speaking of dark side, Enfys Nest... <laughs> bring her back <laughs> um but yeah no she, she she was great i thought that um i thought that she was kind of uh you know i guess in, in a way i i really did sympathize with the message her character did uh her character was uh expressing i i just i i don't know i i thought we probably could have gotten a little bit more with her uh, not on this show. I'm, I'm I'm just speaking like in in the long run. But you're right. I think that there was no other real way to kind of end things for Sharon. Uh, so I think she died for the sake of Sharon um, on this show. And we'll see how that pays off. I guess for whatever they do with Sharon next, because you know they can't definitely can't drop that character now. Um, but we touched on set design a little bit. But in the sense of locations, like we went from, they said they went from Puerto Rico to Prague. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they had a, they, they shot on a road in Georgia and then another road in Prague to kind of make it seem like it's from Germany, <laughs> which is kind of like the, the biggest kind of. Most expensive way you can just film in a street. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure there would have been cheaper ways to do it. But, you know, like, they got the budget for it, man. Like, Yeah, if you like, got it, you got to expense it somehow. Yeah. It's just funny how they were like, we shot this side of the street in Atlanta, and we shot the other side of the street in Prague, and we had to meld them together. And in my mind, I'm like, well, why couldn't you just shoot in the same street? Yeah. I'm sure there must be a road in Atlanta or in Prague. You don't have to... You could have even just gone to Germany. I don't know. But... We're talking about the truck fight sequence, which was entirely digital. I mean, yeah, I didn't really expect them to be on moving trucks fighting, but I did. I, <laughs> I thought they could have done some of the stunts, like some of the shots of actual moving trucks, but it seemed like they didn't, right? Um, they they said they did shoot moving trucks with the stuntmen, but just to get perspective of how it would behave. Yeah. Yeah, the well, here's the thing: the the largely digital segments of it were the road and the trees and the and the environment, but the actual like the stuntmen were fighting on top of stationary trucks 
in the in the studio um which makes sense it just part of it kind of seems like they kind of overdid it a little bit in terms of like digitally doing most of it although i will say it's impressive because to Can be honest tell, with though, you, like watching it i couldn't no 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 i i, I couldn't i thought well, falcon was actually flying <laughs> <laughs> well i'm sure you know like i'm i'm sure I, at no point did I think they actually shot on moving trucks, but what I meant is like I didn't think that they put that much effort into making the surrounding all digital. Yeah, I that's thought what was really impressive. Yeah, I thought because there's different ways of doing it and more practical ways of doing it, but they, I, I think this might have something to do with COVID too, like the the reason why they ultimately settled on this on dealing with this in the way that they did, uh, because like that. And they talked about COVID a lot on this and, and this behind the scenes because, yeah, like it, I'm sure it, it's a monumental uh, effort to even get anything done. So things that should be really easy to do all of a sudden become detrimental because you can't be gathered in a big group um, and have it. Because, you know, if you really think about it, like on the on the random crew uh, set, like, on the, sorry, on the random set day when you're trying to do something like that truck scene. There's at least thirty to forty-five people on set, minimum. And yeah, but half of those are just hanging around the donut table. <laughs> and I would be one of those. <laughs> the PAs, you mean? Uh, oh. <laughs> during during the the shooting, yeah, but it's like as soon as you're done with the shot, you go back in, you reset everything, and you. But like you need thirty-five to forty people. Um. So. Yeah, it, it just, it, I'm sure that it was half of that crew, so it probably was easier in the long run to just like digitize a lot of it. Uh, it's just, you know, some of it kind of seemed a little odd to me, where it's like, yeah, this street was from this country, and this other side of the street was from this other country. Well, yeah, you're not only running skeleton crews, but you're also running uh, travel restrictions too, where you, you, if you didn't get the shots you wanted in the location before you had to come back or if you were planning to go back there and get them later, you have to improvise because you're still probably on a, a time constraint where these shows have to come out on time, especially if they've already filmed X percent. So I don't know. I don't think this got delayed, right? Um, It did get delayed in terms of like the amount of the timing. Because originally, remember, we were supposed to get this show before WandaVision, and this was supposed to come out back in August of 2020. Right. Like, I stand corrected. <laughs> I don't remember that getting <laughs> delayed. So even though that's still not delayed by a crazy ton, like we've seen Black uh, Widow get delayed <laughs> <laughs> by a year plus at this point. Yeah. Um. I, one thing I really would love, would have loved to have that gig of whoever, whoever's job it was to actually stay in Prague during that whole thing instead of going <laughs> back and forth. Like I would have volunteered immediately. I I did find it funny though that line where um Malcolm Spellman was talking about how it was they were scared of the government of Prague or yeah the foreign governments basically being okay with. Um, a U.S. crew going over to their country because COVID was so rampant here and it wasn't as big of an issue <laughs> in other countries. Um, just kind of a sort, you know, p- picking at the scab there with just how messed up the situation has been over the course of the year. But I- imagine being stuck in Prague of all places, right? Like in the midst of a pandemic and you're in, you're in Prague where it's not quite as bad as it is in the U.S. I would not mind being stuck there for months at a time yeah if marvel's paying me i would gladly stay out of the u.s <laughs> <laughs> yeah same here uh that was yeah that was a definitely a big um achievement for this series but then they have so many other things that they really uh stepped up on like they highlighted a, a while on the opening sequence of the season which i actually kind of forgot about with like the suit flying through the canyons the initial fight with batrock uh but the one that stuck out to me was the madripoor sequence that city is kind of beautiful when you really look at the b-roll of that of the show yeah and for anybody interested in this stuff i think on youtube on disney plus's account they after a couple weeks they'll upload 
what we call the B-roll shots of a show, which is basically just like long shots of the crew and establishing shots of what they shot for the show. It's interesting to see because sometimes you'll pick up different things, but you'll you'll get to see what the actual onset looks like. Um, but yeah, Ma- Madripoor they put quite a bit of work to getting that to look that the way the way that it ultimately looked on the show. Yeah, they picked like one random back alley between buildings in Atlanta or a suburb of Atlanta, and then they built the entire Madripoor set between those and had really cool ideas and reasoning for picking certain things. So I love seeing the effort that goes into that and the thought process that that goes into it. And then just getting to see it on screen uh, and see it like really pay off. Did you catch that? um, They they went off on a little bit of a tangent talking about the wall of monkey skulls. Yeah. That is insane but that's the level of detail though like if you ever worked on on set design on on the set or if you're helping to uh the the crew you get to see just how much attention to detail a lot of these sets have um but it's nice to kind of see <laughs> that the people working on the show were just as crazy about the background as they were about the events going on in front of the camera yeah in a scene that was really dominated by Anthony taking a disgusting snake shot and then Sebastian doing this uh, huge fight scene. I didn't even notice that in the background, but that's really cool to see and like how much I didn't really appreciate how much effort went into that bar development, but it looked like a legit bar that I would expect in Madripoor if it existed. Yeah, these are the kind of things I look for even after like, especially after I went to film school and like got a little bit of um, work experience on, on set with things. It's it's one of those things where like, I don't feel like, how do you put this? It's like sound design. Like they used to tell us in film school that, you know, a movie always needs to have good sound design. And it's only when it has bad sound design that you notice. But if mm-hmm. you don't notice it, then it's, it means they're doing a good job. Yeah. And the same thing applies with with uh, set design there. Um, yeah, that's that's a great line. <laughs> did you see that little, um, I guess, like commercial comedic bit there with Daniel Bruhl selling his uh, his Su- Zemo look? Sutkovia. <laughs> Sutkovia, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was a little cringy. I didn't, I didn't need that. <laughs> <laughs> Is that like? Does he actually have an accent? He does, yeah. He's okay. um, what is he? I think he is German, isn't he? I don't know. It could be Austri- Austrian. I know he is at least partly German. Let me. No, now I want to Google this. Daniel. Bro. While you're googling, I also want to point out that kind of absent from this was like Wyatt Russell didn't really get that much time for being a major character, and it feels like the only commentary they had was on the serum uh, discussion, how uh, Steve Rogers was like the pinnacle of perfect and how everyone was chasing that. Um, I thought it was weird. He was such an important character. Yeah, they kind of ignored him a little bit with uh, within the, the commentary of it. I think he, he did get a little bit of a segment, right? Yeah, but I mean, not all, not a huge amount where I had a lasting impression on his take on his character and I don't know how he got the role or how he felt about the character or what he tried to bring to the screen. Like I didn't have a lasting memory of his conversation on that. Uh, yeah. I, I wonder why that is. And we kind of got the same thing from the WandaVision interviews. Like there's a couple of cast members that didn't really get all that much um, screen time for these interviews. I wonder if it's a COVID thing, if it's, you know, I don't know. It's possible, yeah, because the WandaVision only really focused on the first couple episodes and then the finale, and it kind of skipped the middle bits. Right. It seems like for this show, they probably had more time to get interviews on set. Yeah, I think the major difference between this and WandaVision is that WandaVision put a lot of attention into, like, saying details might be unfair to this show because it did a lot of detail work, but like they went all the way down to like theme songs and using 
specific notes in their song between each episode and like having that as a thread to chase and uh, the satire on uh, sitcoms. And then this show, the, the focus of this assembled was like the CGI business of Marvel that we're kind of used to. And I like yeah. seeing I like seeing the the differences there, the split difference. I think it's also because of the way the topics that they were handling too, or not the topics, but the story. Because then Wanda's is this whole story of the like mental struggle and like changing. So part of the thing was the sitcom bit. So it kind of gave them more things to kind of explore, uh, versus here where it's more of a straightforward Marvel project. And while there's visual cues for things, there wasn't quite as much on the, I guess, on the behind the scenes stuff for them to kind of flesh out. Uh, so there's there's probably less of that to kind of cover too. Yeah, and then also like Wyatt getting not a lot of time. I feel like Sebastian Stan also didn't really get that much time. Yeah, I was about to say I was like even looking at our notes, I feel like we th- there was. I'm trying to recall how much. I mean, he had a, he had a good bit in there, which I referenced before, of him being like, "I want people to go," and he listed out every movie that he's been in. I want them to go back and see every one of these movies and be able to spot differences in what I brought to the character on that screen and where I was there, and then you can see the evolution of the character, which was really cool to see him like like some of these some of these actors can't recall which movies they've been in. Like I'm thinking of like Scarlett Johansson, who's like. Was I in that movie? Like I, I remember seeing her in an interview saying that. So it's funny that some people can, you know, totally recall what they've done and what they like, what their mood was or what their attempts to portray were in those scenes. Or Gwyneth Paltrow when she forgot that she was in the Spider-Man movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was a funny bit. But it, I get it too because it's like they're filming three different movies at one time and they might just be like doing one scene for each movie or something like that. So it's kind of hard to remember which one goes to which. Right. Right. They did shoot a lot of that back to back too. Um, but yeah, th- there wasn't, I, and I think the, the thing that I really, really wanted to get out of this that I, I felt like we got was that discussion around how they treated or they paid very special close attention to, the um, racial themes of, of the series and just making sure that they uh, were treading well on those topics and not kind of deviating a bit too much on it. Um, so it was interesting to kind of see and see what kind of gets at it because, and, and we didn't get it from, or I'm not quite sure, correct me if I'm wrong on this because I might be remembering this incorrectly, but um, I don't think we got it from this behind-the-scenes documentary, but I know I've seen it from the Kevin Feige interview he did. He did this little Zoom uh, interview with all the writers of the series and the showrunner a couple weeks ago. Um, But he made it a point to say that half of the writer's room was uh, filled with with black or people of color um, for this particular show. And the reason for it is he wanted to balance that out in terms of getting the perspective of of the black experience in America and also the, uh, you know, be able to balance that out with the way that they want to portray the kind of getting a little bit of a sense of a continuity with the writers that they've had been working with previously. Um, and so I feel like we saw that perfectly uh, illustrated in the show because you and I were like, Hey, this does feel like a Marvel show, but every now and again, it kind of feels like I'm watching something a little bit more in depth, you know? Yeah, no, everything in this, series was so honest and it that definitely what that interview definitely wasn't in this uh, assembled series so i have to go back and find that link but it kind of is like you know you don't have to save that equal representation for black-led shows or movies like this and black panther don't have to be the only ones where you have a good representation (laughs) No, and I, I think that they've gotten pretty good about diversifying their behind-the-scenes uh, folks also in Marvel the last couple of years. But I think that the the reason why I feel like it was so important for this and for Black Panther in particular was because th- there's more of a sensitivity around these topics. Oh, um, I, I totally agree with that. I'm just saying that like you can still get 
everyone's perspective in the writer's room for even like an end game or whatever. And I don't know the makeup of those rooms and maybe they are uh, more balanced than I'm imagining them. But it's just funny that like they're calling out that. Yeah. <laughs> this one specifically, we wanted to make sure like, okay. It's kind of like that bit where they play about um, him being Black Falcon versus just Falcon. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's a little on the nose too. But you know, like as much as it is though, I I do appreciate the fact that we're getting it at the very least whereas before it was just a lot of talk and no action, you know. Yeah, this this series was great for mirroring 2020 in general, I think, where a lot of America woke up to see what is actually going on. Yeah. Uh, and it, it was like what was in Anthony Mackie's final speech how everyone finally has a common struggle and you can now use that to realize that we're all the same and you can see what else is going on harder in other people's lives because now you find that commonality yeah it, it was it was very timely and I think from the interviews that we got here it was both an unconscious and conscious choice um Something that was kind of revealed in that Zoom interview I just referenced so, uh, with Kevin Feige and the writers team, uh, they did mention that the original plan was to have the Flag Smashers unleash a virus at the end of the season, <laughs> which they promptly got rid of because obviously, oh my god, <laughs> that'd be way too on the nose. <laughs> <laughs> but it's funny because they 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 said that they had um, the writers room had even like cracked a couple jokes about how like it's you know imagine if this COVID thing actually ends up being a big deal oh my god <laughs> and then it did end up becoming a big deal so they had to rewrite some of those segments that would have been too scary it, it would have been it's kind of like art uh or life imitating art rather yeah i prefer what they actually did with the flag smashers not because we experienced covid but just because it's like it is such a relatable or not a relatable but just like you can empathize with their mission and then it just it just got diverted one too many times and then morphed into something that it wasn't intended to be it was a good testament to like the formation of terrorism in general and like so somebody put put this really really well and it's like um every every show um or every Marvel project has kind of done a good job of like balancing its own issues the way it did. Like Tony Stark was always representative of like the, the arms companies in America, you know, like the weapons manufacturers, like how America kind of creates its own problems. Cause Tony's villains are a result of his own actions yeah, or, or inactions. And you kind of see that here where, and I think Malcolm Spellman kind of said this in this, in another interview that part of the, part of their intention was to kind of highlight how the U S in, in real life kind of gets involved in certain places and kind of ditches, ditches it or makes a problem even worse. And then 10, 20 years down the line, the people that grew up under the circumstances they created become radicalized because you kind of grow up in this setting. Yeah. Um, and that's, you know, that's reflected in Carly and her crew where it's these people that, simply were trying to kind of live their lives in the beginning, but because circumstances and life kind of dealt them a hard hand, they then go on this quest where like, it's no longer like they're no longer listening to reason that they, they become radicalized. And while it's not, there's no sense in justifying that. It's also kind of like understanding the reasons as to why is very important. Yeah. Which all harkens back to that final speech. Yep. Any last thoughts on the on the series um, that was either in the assembled series or just in the show as all and at all? Um, no, I think the, the the last thing I'll say is like I I'm really happy to see that they've greenlit that fourth Captain America movie with Sam, and I'm happy to see that the crew for the Falcon and the Winter Soldier is coming back to make that movie happen. Um, I'm kind of hoping to keep the director because it seems like she was. She's also doing a pretty bang up job of like directing these actors, and it seems like she got along with them really well. So the synergy is there, and I hope that kind of carries on to the fourth movie. Yeah, this this group really bounced off each other well. I would love to see that carried over into the movie in some way, and not just be used to push Phase Four forward, but also just to be like an extension of this show. Because, uh, yeah, like we said in the last pod, it's very difficult to 
rank this against WandaVision just because it's so different. But uh, this was a really enjoyable series. And like we said before, we, we love getting these behind-the-scenes things. And uh, I'm glad that they're pushing these out for every show. I hope we get even more of these. <laughs> it's it's it, weird. I got I feel like I got spoiled from the Mandalorian season one of these. Yeah, I think even just like a a Zoom roundtable of some sorts, where even if you can't get them in person, just get them in in some sort of virtual room together, where they can just talk about like prompt each other with questions or or give us a little bit more into their acting choices or their editing style or or how they set up certain shots or whatever you know i love getting that stuff and we didn't get a tremendous amount of that in this because we're we're jumping around showing locations and and set designs and costumes and all that stuff is really cool too but i want to get their actual takes on what the process was like for them yeah same here so what's next for our marvel slate uh loki is coming up in june Loki, and then if, assuming everything goes according to plan from here on out, it seems like Black Widow in early July. So, right, fingers crossed. <laughs> we'll see how that goes. Yeah, very hopeful. But if you uh, if you tuned into this, if you're out there listening and you tuned into the Assembled series and you want to share your opinions on the series as a whole, uh, feel free to reach out to us on Twitter. At BT Fourth Wall, four being 4th. Otherwise, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.